When my family began to work in South Sudan on a more frequent basis three years ago, we made the decision that we thought it would be important for us to visit a different church every Sunday so that we could encourage as many churches as possible. And it was an amazing privilege. And, and through the years, as churches began to get planted, new churches were planted, it was an amazing privilege to also go and visit those church plants. There's, there's nothing like hopping on my, my local bicycle and, and, and going through the bush for an hour to show up under a tree and get to gather with these group of women and men at a brand new church plant is just such a glorious privilege. But one of the things that happened to me early on was that I was invited to preach one Sunday and then the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday and uh, it didn't take long to figure out that I needed to make sure I, I had a sermon ready to go every Sunday. And, and one of the challenges was in knowing how best to convey the gospel and, and the truth of Scripture in the way that, that worked most ideally within their culture. As, as you can probably understand, the, the culture of those living in a mud hut in South Sudan is a little bit different than ours uh, in a number of ways. And so that was always the question, what does it look like to try to convey um, our culture? But one thing... One thing's the same no matter what culture you are involved in, and that is that there is bad news that's turning into good news. Because the kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, is bad news. The brokenness of this world, the pain of this world, the, the hardships and the, the evil that, that we encounter in this world. And then in the kingdom of God, you have love and joy and peace and all the fruit of his Holy Spirit. You have the presence of God himself. There is this amazing, miraculous power to heal and to restore and to reconcile. And so you go from the, from the kingdom of darkness where there's fear and the kingdom of God where there's peace. In, in the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of Satan, there is brokenness. In the kingdom of God, there's restoration. In the kingdom of darkness, in the kingdom of, of Satan, you're filled with anxiety. And in the kingdom of God, you're filled with comfort. And on and on and on the list goes of what we have in the kingdom of darkness and what we experience in the kingdom of God. Well, our sermon series has been through the book of Matthew and we're soon to take a break from the book of Matthew, and we're going to walk through a special sort, short series before we jump back in to Matthew. But through these first 11 chapters, as we've been walking through them together, we've been experiencing Matthew, one of the followers of Jesus, sharing with us about the life of Jesus. Matthew was a tax collector. They were historically hated within the Roman Empire. Uh, but Matthew became a follower of Jesus. And here he is chronicling this amazing story of what God has done for us uh, through Jesus. And Matthew has this special focus on the kingdom of God, or in his case, he labels it as the kingdom of heaven. And so you may have noticed, if you've been here for many of our weeks, of how often he'll talk about the kingdom of heaven and this glorious appeal of the kingdom of heaven. 
Heaven is coming for us one day. Every one of us who's a follower of Jesus, we one day will wrap up our journey on this earth and we will go be with God in heaven. That's where it's perfect. There is nothing wrong there. You have God there, but you don't have Satan there, which tells you something. Everything is just going to be good and right in heaven. It's what we all dream for and what we all long for. The thing on this earth is that things are constantly broken. You can never have a truly perfect day on this earth. Even finding a perfect moment may feel a little rare because you're really enjoying it, but oh, by the way, your back hurts a little bit. Or things are going really well, but you just got that nagging headache. On this earth, we have these constant reminders of our brokenness, but one day we'll experience the kingdom of heaven in fullness in heaven itself. That's where we find the kingdom without anything wrong at all. And so what you and I crave, what you and I long for is the fullness of the presence of God with everything right, everything pure, and everything perfect. And one day you will experience it. For now, in this earth, we get to experience just a taste of the kingdom of heaven. But it's so good. Even that taste is just so good. We love it. We, we long for it. We, we, we hunger for it. And Matthew's telling us that we can have it if we trust in Jesus. And if we follow him, we can increasingly taste of the kingdom of heaven and that's what we want so badly that's our backdrop to our passage tonight Matthew chapter 11 I greatly appreciate Jake reading it for us let me pick up the backdrop which Steve preached just a couple weeks ago so we have the context for us tonight Matthew chapter 11 verse 1 when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, that was Jesus, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now this was a stunning statement. I mean, John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus. He's the one who had gone into the wilderness giving the message of repentance and pointing ahead to Christ. He's the one who had baptized Jesus. We talked so much about John the Baptist to this point in the book of Matthew. Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Leopards are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So Jesus is saying, in other words, while Paul is in, while John is in prison and he's questioning, hey Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really the promised one? Jesus goes through all these things that he has done to say Yes, all those things that were prophesied about Jesus are coming true. And Jesus is basically saying to the the followers of John the Baptist, go and tell John, these are the things I have done. So that John can reflect back on the scriptures of the Old Testament and say, he truly must be the Messiah. But stunning to me that here's John the Baptist who is questioning, is Jesus really the one? I mean, John's the one who is the last prophet to point ahead to him. If you know any of the story of the Old Testament, you may know that God had sent prophets to warn the people of Israel about their sin and to talk about the Messiah, the promised one, the one who was to come. And so you have what's called the major prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel, have all these minor prophets who wrote a lot of the other books of the Old Testament. The last one was a guy named Malachi. After Malachi, there was no prophet for 400 years. So the people of Israel waited for 400 years without hearing God speak anything fresh to them. They may have craved hearing from a, from a prophet, but there was no prophet. Just these 
prophecies that had been given about Jesus. He would be born of, in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin. One day he would be killed, but he would fulfill every promise that was given to, to Adam and to Abraham and to David. And so they waited for 400 years. No fresh word, no new prophets, just waiting for the Messiah to come, God to do something. And suddenly, John the Baptist came, and he dressed in in camel's skin and he ate locusts and he was out in the wilderness giving a message of re repentance for the forgiveness of sins and pointing ahead to Jesus. He had unbelievable importance in the kingdom of God because he was the one to come just before Jesus. And then he's the guy wondering if Jesus really is the Messiah. This whole passage to me is just so ironic and so powerful because it's so me how many times have I experienced the power of God and I'll still question if he's going to do it again how many times has he spoken something to my heart where I really know it's him and then the next time I question if it's really going to turn out right if I follow him again how many times have I experienced the love and the mercy and the grace and the goodness, just the sheer goodness of the living God. And then in my points of trial, I'll turn to the lesser things of the world to try to get comfort from them instead of him. How much am I like John the Baptist who could taste of all of that and still question if Jesus was who he really was? Well, that was Steve's message from two weeks ago. And today, we get to experience Jesus' response to it, which is particularly powerful. Look at verse 7. As they went away, this is the followers of John the Baptist. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. So remember, the followers of John are not there anymore. They're not going to hear, presumably, what Jesus is about to say. But this is what he says. What did you go out to, to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. So again, John the Baptist, he's a prophet. He was the last prophet before Jesus, the last one. But he was more than a prophet because he was preparing the way for Jesus himself. He was the last one to come to, in a sense, roll out the red carpet for Jesus to come. Then look at verse 11. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Among those born of women, that would be just those of us who are walking on this earth. And Jesus is saying, among those born of women, no one, no one is greater than John the Baptist. What an incredible response for Jesus to give after the followers of John the Baptist had just come from him in heaven, in, in prison, questioning if Jesus really was the Messiah. It just feels to me like it'd be so much easier for, for Jesus to say, doesn't Don know that by now? Has he not seen everything that I've done? Wasn't he the one who was supposed to baptize me and point ahead to me? Why in the world is John the Baptist questioning me? I mean, 
I just think in my own flesh, if I'm in Jesus' shoes, I'm feeling frustrated about that. And maybe trying to call John the Baptist out for that. But instead, Jesus is filled with such kindness and such gentleness. And even when the followers of John the Baptist are not there, Jesus is, is still publicly just honoring him in every way. We see here the tenderness of the heart of Jesus, don't we? So many of us can easily think of God as God is just so ready to rebuke us and light into us and tear us down for all the ways that we're always letting him down. But Jesus is, is God in the flesh. And this passage gives us an amazing perspective on Jesus' heart, who he is as a God who, who maybe just sees past everything. Maybe here Jesus was saying, John the Baptist is in prison. Maybe he's really going through it. Maybe he has reason to be doubting or questioning. Whatever Jesus' perspective was on John the Baptist, he sure honored him and loved him and cared for him and walked with nothing but mercy and grace towards him. And I think that that's God's heart towards us as well. You know, maybe some of you struggle at times with doubt of, of who God is. But maybe he's looking back on you just loving you and caring for you and loving the fact that you just love him and long for him. Maybe some of us are tripping and stumbling over ourselves and in some areas of life, but God's just looking at us and, and looking at our heart. John the Baptist had, had demonstrated this heart that just deeply loved God, and it seemed to me that Jesus is just honoring that. And, and where our hearts are, are longing for him, that, that he would look at us and and see that and, and honor that. And know that we are, we are cloaked in this frail humanity that's going to trip and stumble at times. But, but he just loves us and cares for us. To say it another way, I worry sometimes that we're beating ourselves up way more than God is. And that maybe we're so consumed in beating ourselves up that we're never really getting about the work that God has for us because we're too busy tearing ourselves down. And that if we could just fully embrace the love of God in our lives, the mercy of God in our lives. And I'm not talking about those moments where we're walking in sin and enjoying it and not repenting of it. No, I'm talking about those moments where, where we're truly following God. And we're craving him and we're longing for him and we're going for it. We're just tripping and stumbling along the way. And God just wants to pick us back up and just launch us back out there again. And I love how Jesus did nothing to hinder John the Baptist. He, he did nothing to slow him down from the advance of the kingdom. He just honored him, built him up, and said, yes, I am the one to come. That was to come. Truly, verse 11, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Another powerful statement by Jesus. There's no one greater than John the Baptist out of anyone who's born in this world, but anyone in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And at first read, you and I might say, what in the, the world does that mean? But I think the significance here is probably in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was initiating or installing the kingdom of heaven. Because the only way to enter into the kingdom of heaven is through Jesus himself. He's the one who was to live a perfect life. 
die on the cross and rise from the dead. Now, no one had ever lived a perfect life before. Every person before Jesus and every person after Jesus has sinned. We've all rebelled against God and none of us are worthy of the presence of God. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus who lived that perfect life and he died on a cross. The worst form of punishment that you could receive in the Roman Empire was to die on a cross and that's what happened to Jesus. Because he took on himself our sin. If we believe in him and we trust in him and we repent of our sin, he takes that. He takes the punishment that we deserve so that we can go and be with him in heaven. I remember watching this South Sudanese guy one day who, for the first time, truly processed what the gospel is all about. And you could just see in his face the acknowledgement of what it meant that Jesus took our punishment. For our sin against God, for our rebellion against God, we deserve punishment, but Jesus has taken it. And when we fully realize that, what surfaces is just joy and, and worship and gratitude and praise because he's done for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. That's what God did for us in Jesus. And when he came, he opened the way for us to enter into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So that we surrender of our sins to God, we repent of our sins, we surrender everything before him, and we trust in him and follow him, we go into the kingdom of heaven. We're together with God, we are loved, we're safe, we're embraced, we're, we're welcomed in, all because of what Jesus has done for us. So Jesus is saying here, the least in the kingdom of heaven is still greater than John the Baptist in the sense that John had never fully tasted of the kingdom of heaven. Now he met Jesus and Jesus was the one who was going to install the kingdom of heaven with his death and his resurrection from the dead. But for all of us, we have tasted something more. Because after the Jesus' time, he sent the Holy Spirit, that's God's presence, to come and live within us. So God lives in you if you are a follower of Jesus. And that is radical truth. Absolutely radical. God himself God himself is buried within you. I can't imagine anything greater. That's why the power of the kingdom of heaven is on your life. That's why the love of God can radiate through you. That's why mercy and grace like this world has never tasted before can happen through your life. That's why the peace of God and the joy of God can separate you and me apart from the rest of the world because God's presence is within us. That's why it's Kara's testimony so powerfully displayed. We are continually being changed day by day by day because God's presence is in us and if his presence is in us, we just can't stay the same. One of the most radical parts to me of this incredible story of what God has done is that he not only chose to save us, but he chose to dwell with us. That makes no sense to me. I mean, I am broken. I have so many issues that I grapple with on this journey with Jesus. That he would choose to dwell in this broken body is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And it makes me feel so loved. I mean, who am I that God would choose to stay with me, to care for me? The Bible says that the Holy Spirit is our, is our counselor. The Bible tells us 
He's our comforter. We see in the pages of Scripture the power that indwells followers of Jesus so you and I can pray for people and see healing happen. We can command demons to leave and, and see them flee. We can see God do all sorts of radical things through our lives because it's no longer about our lives but about the, the presence of the Holy Spirit himself. And that's why Jesus can tell us that those of us who are in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John the Baptist even though he's greater than anyone born of this earth. Because when we're in the kingdom of heaven, fully in the kingdom of heaven, the presence of God indwells us. There is something about our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven that I think most of us, as followers of Jesus in America in 2021, have yet to wrap our minds around. We think so much less of ourselves than we should. And that's not because of who we are intrinsically, but it's absolutely because of who we are with the presence of God within us. We think so little of our prayers. But those aren't prayers from us. Those are Holy Spirit-empowered prayers. We think so little of our witness when we go to tell others about Jesus. But it's not about us. It's about what the Holy Spirit is doing through us. We think so little about who we are as moms and dads trying to disciple our kids in the midst of our own inadequacy. But it's not about us. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit radiating out from our lives. What we experience, you and me, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is truly mind-blowing. When we simply walk in faithful obedience to the king of kings and just let him write whatever story he wants to write in our lives. So Jesus says, verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. I think Jesus is probably pointing to the Roman Empire and how with violence they were attacking John the Baptist. They had put him in prison. One day Jesus was going to end up on a cross because of that, that violence. So they were trying to take the kingdom of heaven by force. Jesus himself being that ultimate representation of the kingdom of heaven. And you can imagine if, if Satan's job is to try to keep God from doing what he wants to do, that he surely was trying to initiate whatever he could to come against Jesus. Verse 13, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elisha who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So all the prophets, the major minor prophets from the Old Testament, and the law, the law, that was the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. But this was also a way of alluding back to the entirety of the Old Testament. Anytime in the New Testament, when you read them talk about the law and the prophets or the prophets and the law, it's a way of encapsulating the entirety of the Old Testament. It's a way of just alluding back to that metaphorically. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So in other words, he was the last prophet. And if you are willing to accept it, verse 14, he is Elijah who is to come. Because Malachi, the prophet, 400 years ago before John the Baptist, the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi had prophesied that Elijah was to come to prepare the way for the Messiah. 
Now, he didn't literally mean Elijah himself rising back from the dead, but metaphorically, he was referring to John the Baptist. So Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, whoever's heart is tender and open and ready to receive the truth, John the Baptist is the Elijah who was prophesied to come and prepare the way for the Messiah. So Jesus honors John the Baptist here, and he also, in a way, affirms himself of just saying, not only is John the Baptist the Elijah who was to come, but he was also preparing the way for the Messiah, and that's Jesus himself. When we were in South Sudan on this trip, Ty and and Robert and Adam and I had the privilege of going to a church in a place called uh, Gira. So we got out there and um, we went through the, the service together with, uh, with all the people. Such a great time of, of singing and celebrating who God is and um, getting to just experience the, the beauty of the kingdom of heaven together with our South Sudanese uh, sisters and brothers. After that, they, they took us into a mud hut and, and served us a, a, a great meal of some cassava and, and some chicken, and we all ate with our hands and just uh, celebrated that time together. And, and then we began the journey back to Mvolo, and as we were going back to, to our home, we were we were journeying together with, uh, with some ladies, and, and there was another uh, guy there as well, and they just began to sing. And they began to sing the songs of the citizens of heaven, the songs of the church, and it was so beautiful. I mean, it was so beautiful. And as we were going down on the road in their, in their harmonies, they were just singing one song after another after another. And you could just hear the, the vibrancy in their voices, the, the joy of God that just radiated out from them. I remember passing under the mango tree that my friend Gabriel had planted and seeing the people there who were just listening to us as we were passing by. And I just began to reflect about the other people on the road who were, who were hearing the songs, all of whom would have known those are the songs of the church. Those are the songs of the kingdom of heaven. What a privilege you and I have to reflect the King of kings and the Lord of lords. What amazing joy to celebrate what he's done in our lives. And what a gift to follow the line, so to speak, of John the Baptist, of reflecting to our world who he is. And what an immeasurable privilege to be together with him in the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you to stand and our music team, and our prayer team to come forward. We love this part of the service, this privilege that we have of, of getting to open up this space up here for prayer. It's really an opportunity just to respond to anything that God may have stirred in your heart through the service. Maybe as we were singing, maybe as we were praying, maybe through Kara's testimony, uh, maybe as we were going through Matthew just now. Whether you're a guest or a covenant member, 
with us. We want to encourage you to come for prayer if you'd like to come. This is just a place for the hungry up here. If you're just hungry for God to move in your life and you'd like to come receive prayer, we'd be honored to pray with you. It could be something relational. It could be for physical healing. It could be demonic attack uh, that you're facing. Maybe you've never walked with Jesus before and you want to talk about what it looks like to journey with him. Whatever is on your heart or your mind, we would love to pray with you and ask the, the Spirit of God himself just to move in great power. Let's pray together. Father, what a, what a great night of joy just to be together and to sing and to pray and to hear your word, to listen to testimony. And, and now we come into this time just eager for you to touch us as we come to prayer, as we sing together. We're so reminded through this passage that, that there's nothing like you. The world is just broken and, and full of pain and, and hardship. But, but in the kingdom of heaven, there's just goodness and, and joy. And we, we want a taste of that tonight and, and power. And I want to ask right now as we're singing together and as we're praying together, you just meet us. God, will you meet some of us like never before? I pray that you will just touch us with a fresh word, that you'll just heal us as only you can, that you'll move in miraculous power and just engage our hearts and our lives. We're hungry for you. God, we come into this place not as perfect people, as broken people, that you as a great who looks on us, even as you did with John the Baptist, and you just love us and you just care for us. So, Father, we just embrace us now. Just, just hold us and touch us and minister to us and build us up for all that you have for us. We pray you do it in Jesus' name. Amen.